Vishnupad Paramahamsa Parivraja Kashara Shotata Shatashi Srimad A.C. Bhaktivaranta Swami Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai Anantakota Vaishnavrinda Ki Jai All glories to the assembled devotees Hare Krishna All glories to the assembled devotees Hare Krishna All glories to the assembled devotees Hare Krishna All glories to Shishiguru and Gauranga All glories to Srila Prabhupada Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Ajnana Tamaranda Shajana Jana Shalakaya Chakshulun Mitam Jaina Chasmai Shri Guruvei Namaha I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my, my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam Sapitam Jena Bhutule Swayam Rupakadamayam Tadatit Swapadantikam when will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vancha kalpa tarubhyasya kripa sanubhaya vacha patita anampa vanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namo namaha. 
I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhaktivrinda I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Shri Advaita Gadadhar Pandit, Shri Vas Thakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So today's the very auspicious day of Lord Nishingadev's appearance day. So today we will read from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 7, The Science of God, Chapter 8, Conversation Between... Oops, I didn't change the name. Um, I don't know what the name is. Text 17. Satyam vidatam nijabrita bashitam vyaptim cha bhutesh akhilishu chatmana adrishyat Satyam, true, vidatam, to prove, nijabhritabhashitam, the words of his own servant, Prahlad Maharaj, who has said that his Lord is pre- present everywhere. Vyaptim, the pervasion, cha, and... Bhuteshu, among the living entities and elements. Akileshu, all. Cha, also. Atmana, of himself. Adrishyata, was seen. Ati, very. Adbuta, wonderful. Rupam, form. Udvahan, taking. Stambe, in the pillar. Shabhyam, Within the assembly, na, not, mrigam, an animal, na, nor, manusam, a human being. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. To prove that the statement of His servant, Prahlad Maharaj, was substantial, in other words, to prove that the Supreme Lord is pre- present everywhere, even within the pillar of an assembly hall, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Hari, exhibited a wonderful form never before seen. The form was neither that of a man nor that of a lion. Thus the Lord appeared in his wonderful form in the assembly hall. Purport by his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami. When Hiranyakashipu asked Prahlad Maharaj, Where is your Lord? Is he present in this pillar? Prahlad Maharaj fearlessly replied, Yes, my Lord, is present everywhere. Therefore, to convince Hiranyakashipu that the statement of Prahlad Maharaj was unmistakably true, the Lord appeared from the pillar. The Lord appeared as half lion and half man so that that Hiranyakashipu could not understand whether the great giant was a lion or human being. To substantiate Prahlad's statement, the Lord proved that his devotee, as declared in Bhagavad Gita, is never vanquished. Prahlad Maharaj's demonic father had repeatedly threatened to kill Prahlad, but Prahlad was confident that he could not be killed, since he was protected by the Supreme Lord. By appearing from the pillar, the Lord encouraged his devotee, saying, in effect, 
Don't worry, I am present here. By manifesting his form as Nishingadev, the Lord also preserved the truth of Lord Brahma's promise that Hiranyakashipu was not to be killed by any animal or any man. The Lord appeared in a form that could not be said to be fully a man or a lion. So today we're celebrating the appearance day of this very special form of the Lord as half man, half lion. And we're at this point in the story where he actually appears. So let's go back a little bit and give a little history of why he appears in this form and what happens here. So we know from the Bhagavad Gita, and we've heard it many times, that whenever and wherever there's a decline in religious practice, Krishna himself descends to um, reestablish religion as well as to protect the devotees. And we also know that one who hears and chants the narration of the omnipotence of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Vishnu, is certainly liberated from material bondage without fail. And especially if we listen to the story of Prahlad Maharaj, because Prahlad Maharaj was the best among exalted devotees. It is said anyone who with great attention hears the narration of the concerning the activities of Prahlad Maharaj, the killing of Hiranyakashipu, and the activities of the Supreme Personality of Godhead Narsingadev, surely reaches the spiritual world where there is no anxiety. So it's always great to um, retell this story over and over again about Lord Nishingadev, Prahlad Maharaj, and Hiranyakashipu, because every time I hear it, I know I hear or learn something different or something different um, uh, comes out to me. So today we'll focus on the lessons that we can learn from this powerful story, an amazing story. So, you know, as far as back history, it's like how far back can you go? Because it's like you want to tell a backstory to every backstory. But we'll just start from the point after um, Lord Varahadev, another incarnation of God who came down as a boar, killed Hiranyaksha, who's Hiranyakashipu's brother. And he killed him because he was, they were both of these two demons were causing so much disturbance and terrorizing all the people, terrorizing all the demigods, um, just, you know, creating havoc everywhere they go. So <clears throat> after Hiranyakashipu's brother was killed by Vishnu, Hiranyakashipu swore vengeance. He was very angry. And what I found interesting about this story is that despite all this anger, he also took this time to comfort his mother, you know, at the, at the loss of his son, at the loss of her son. He comforted his sister-in-law at the loss of her husband. He comforted his nephews for the loss of their father. And what I find very interesting is in, in comforting them, he speaks about the permanence of the soul and the impermanence of the material body. And he advises them, guides them to not lament the passing of the soul from the material body. He talks about the dualities of life, happiness and distress, good and bad. Um, and he says that the suffering is due to misidentifying with the body and not realizing where spirit souls. 
he gives examples, you know, sharing stories and share, and shows them that everything emanates from the Supreme and that nothing happens without the will of the Supreme. He also says, you know, he reminds them that for one who is born, death is sure, and one who has died will accept another body, but the soul never dies. So although Hiranyakashipu was a great demon, he was very educated. He had Vedic knowledge and understanding. And so the advice that he gave to his family was very sound. And it's um, things that we are studying in the Bhagavad Gita that we try to adhere to ourselves, realizing that we're not this body, that we are spirit soul, and that we are something more permanent, right? The servants of Krishna, and everything comes from Krishna. However, because... He doesn't use his good intelligence for the service of the Lord. He's a demon. So he has all this knowledge, but he uses it to puff himself up, right? To better control or what he perceives as being able to control the material world, to be able to have power and, you know, um, fulfill all of his material desires. So he wanted to become immortal. So despite giving these really great instructions to his family, he himself wanted to become immortal. And we see this a lot of times. Um, we may do it ourselves, and we can see it in other people. Like they give advice to really good, sound advice to other people, and you think sometimes, do you listen to the own, your own advice? Like I know there are times when I've caught myself going, huh, maybe I should listen to my own advice that I give to other people. But here, Hiranyakashipu has no self-awareness. He's giving these great instructions to his family, but he doesn't take heed of these instructions himself. Because like everyone else, he probably thinks it doesn't apply to him. He's special. He's powerful. So these words from, you know, scripture or Vedic knowledge don't apply to him. He's above it. So he wanted to become immortal in um, order to overcome his short duration of life, and he wanted to be master of all the planetary systems. He went to the mountains um, and was practicing great austerity. He's practicing this austerity of standing up on his tippy toes with his arms outstretched towards the sky and looking towards the sky. Like, I think I could probably hold that pose for, I don't know, 10 seconds, maybe a minute, like if I worked up to it. But Hiranyakashipu held this pose for 125 years. And because he was so such a powerful yogi, he was, when he was in this meditative state, performing such great austerities, not eating, not drinking, barely breathing, um, fire kind of began blazing from his head and it started disturbing the entire universe. So <clears throat> the inhabitants and the birds and beasts and all the demigods were all disturbed by this great fire. It was burning up everything. So Lord Brahma comes to see Hiranyakashipu and he asks, you know, what can I give you to stop creating this blazing fire? So he asks for immortality so he, you know, he asks Brahma for, you know, please make me immortal. Well, Lord Brahma says, well, I can't make you immortal because I'm not immortal myself. 
So then Hiranyakashipu very carefully asks for a benediction that's, that he perceives to be almost as good as immortality. He states, Grant me that I not die within any residence or outside any residence, during the daytime or at night, nor on the ground or in the sky. Grant me that my death not be brought by any being other than those created by you, nor by any weapon, nor by any human being or animal. So he's saying that he doesn't want to be killed, you know, grant him such a boon that he's never killed outside or inside, not during the day or at night, not on the ground or in the sky, not by an animal or a man or any being created by Lord Brahma, not by any resident of the planetary systems and not by any weapon. He says, grant me that I may not meet death from any entity, living or non-living, that I not be killed by any demigod, demon, or any great snake from the lower planets. If no one can kill you in the battlefield, you have no competitor. So grant me the benediction that I, too, may have no rival. Give me sole lordship over all the living entities and presiding deities, and give me all the glories obtained by that position. Give me all the mystic powers attained by long austerities and the practice of yoga, for these cannot be lost at any time. So Brahma granted him all of these benedictions. And you can see like how um, attached Hiranyakashipu is to power and fame. Right? He wants to be all-powerful. He doesn't want to be defeated. He doesn't want to be killed. He wants you know, to bring that kind of fear. The problem is, what is he going to do with this kind of benediction? He's not going to use this um, great powers that he just achieved to serve Krishna, to serve his fellow man, to serve the demigods. He's going to use it to try to, you know, control them, to subdue them. And that's what he does. Immediately after he obtained power, he started harassing all the living entities within the universe. He continued to be envious of Lord Vishnu. So despite having all of these powers, he still didn't recognize the supreme glory of Krishna, of Lord, of the Lord Vishnu. He he thought of himself as being greater than God. So eventually, all the living entities within the universe were in so much distress, they were praying to the, to Lord Vishnu for relief from this, you know, terrorizing rule of Hiranyakashipu. Lord Vishnu, you know, he calms them down. He pacifies them. He says, don't worry, I will come. The um, Hiranyakashipu is not just going to torture you, but he's going to torture and terrorize his own son, and I will come to protect his son. So he'll be... Uh, naturally killed very soon. Hiranyakashipu was residing in Indraloka after he conquered it. And he was always drunk. Um, he was drinking strong-smelling wines and liqueurs. And his coppery eyes were always rolling. So in spite of achieving the power to control in all directions, and in spite of enjoying all types of deer sense gratification as much as possible, 
Hiranyakashipu was dissatisfied because instead of controlling his senses, he remained their servant. Srila Prabhupada says in the purport of 7.4.19, Srimad Bhagavatam, this is an example of demonic life. Atheists can advance materially and create an extremely comfortable situation for the senses, but because they are controlled by the senses, they cannot be satisfied. That is the effect of modern civilization. Materialists are very much advanced in enjoying money and the opposite sex, yet dissatisfaction prevails within human society. As far as material sense gratification is concerned, materialists may go on increasing their enjoyment as far as they can imagine. But because people in such a material condition are servants of their senses, they cannot be satisfied. Hiranyakashipu was a vivid example of this dissatisfied state of humanity. So, you know, Hiranyakashipu was one of the most uh, terrorizing demons, um, terrorizing kings, you know, that ever existed. And we may hear of his qualities and think, oh yeah, he's horrible. We're nothing like that. But in some ways... um, we have a little bit of Hiranyakashipu in us, right? We have this tendency to want to control everything around us. We want to have power. And we may not think it so overtly. Um, it's very subtle, right? Whenever we don't recognize the glory of God, of Krishna, and we think, I'm the doer, I'm the one that's accomplishing this, then we've become a little bit like Hiranyakashipu. And we need... You know, we'll learn a little bit about what happens here, but we need Narsingadev to destroy the Hiranyakashipu within us. So, back to our story. In the meantime, so when Hiranyakashipu was off doing his austerities, you know, before he left, his wife was pregnant, um, Kayadu. And when he left... The demigods, you know, they started taking back their territory. They took back their home and they found his wife there pregnant and they kidnapped her with the intention of whenever this baby was born, we're going to kill it because can you, if you can imagine Hiranyakashipu is a terrible demon, how terrible will his son be? And at that moment, Narada Muni came and he saw what was happening and he said, no, no, no. The devote, the person that's going to be born from her is going to be a great devotee. So please do not kill this baby when he is born. And in the meantime, you know, I will protect her. So they gave custody of Hiranyakashipu's wife to Narada Muni to take care of while she's out. And he continued to protect her just in case, you know, somebody wanted to, uh, they didn't believe that his, the son of Hiranyakashipu was going to be a great devotee. They, you know, they were still going to have this plan of trying to kill the son. And Kayadu herself, she didn't trust that, you know, the boy would be protected. So she, um, waited. She, kept, she held on to her pregnancy and didn't give birth until after Hiranyakashipu came back. So in the meantime, while she's, you know, at Narada Muni's ashram, Narada Muni is, you know, give, sharing stories of Lord Vishnu and Krishna and, you know, reading the Bhagavad Purana to 
his, you know, the people that are there. So he's reading it to Kayadu, but she gets bored and she falls asleep. But inside her womb, Prahlad Maharaj is listening very attentively and he's learning. So for, you know, 125 years, he's hearing this Bhagavad Purana inside the womb. So when he was born, he was already born a great devotee. So we can read about the qualities of Prahlad Maharaj. This is from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 7, Chapter 4, Text 30 to 34. Prahlad was a reservoir of all transcendental qualities because he was an unalloyed devotee of the personality of Godhead. He was completely cultured as a qualified brahmana, very, having very good character and being determined to understand the absolute truth. He had full control of his senses and mind. Like the super soul, he was very, he was kind to every living entity and was the best friend of everyone. To respectable persons, he acted exactly like a menial servant. To the poor, he was like a father. To his equals, he was attached like a sympathetic brother. And he considered his teachers, spiritual masters, and older god brothers to be as good as the supreme personality of Godhead. He was completely free from unnatural pride that might have arisen from his good education, riches, beauty, aristocracy, and so on. Although Prahlad Maharaj was born in a family of demons, he himself was not a demon, but a great devotee of Lord Vishnu. Unlike the other demons, he was never envious of Vaishnavas. He was not agitated when put into danger. He was neither directly nor indirectly interested in the fruit of activities described in the Vedas. Indeed, he considered everything material to be useless, and therefore he was completely devoid of material desires. He always controlled his senses and life air, and being of steady intelligence and determination, he subdued all lusty desires. Prahlad Maharaj's good qualities are still glorified by learned saints and Vaishnavas, And all good qualities are always found existing in the Supreme Personality of Godhead. They also exist forever in his devotee, Prahlad Maharaj. In text 36, it says, He had unflinching faith in Vasudev, Lord Krishna, and unalloyed devotion to him. And in 42, it says, Because of his association with perfect unalloyed devotees, who had nothing to do with anything material, Prahlad Maharaj constantly engaged in in the service of the Lord's lotus feet. By seeing his bodily features when he was in perfect ecstasy, persons very poor in spiritual understanding became purified. In other words, Prahlad Maharaj bestowed upon them transcendental bliss. So we can hear these qualities of Prahlad Maharaj and and realize that these are great qualities. These are the qualities that we want to aspire for. And we can also hear the difference, you know, the contrast of Prahlad Maharaj's qualities and Hiranyakashipu's qualities. You know, Hiranyakashipu is all about power and um, lording it over other people and, and exerting his control and terrorizing people, you know, using fear as a way to gain um, power and respect. But here it says that Prahlad Maharaj, you know, he sees everybody as a friend. He sees everybody as... Um, it says he was kind to every living entity and was the best friend to everyone. But that doesn't mean he sees everyone as equals in the sense of, you know, everybody's the same. 
he realizes that everybody has a distinct position and he treats them accordingly, right? He says he was attached to his equals like a brother. He was he considered his teachers and spiritual masters to be as good as Krishna, to be good as as good as God. When he came to someone who was less um fortunate than he was or younger, he treated them as a father, right? Like he would as as if he was their father. He was wanting to take care of them. When he um, was near someone who was respectable, he he himself, you know, took on the position of serving. So you can see he knows exactly how to deal with all the different people. He just considered everybody to be his friend. And when he was old enough, I guess by the age of five, he was sent off to school to learn about economic development, politics, and how to be a king. But he had no interest in these subjects. He understood that political philosophy involves considering someone a friend and someone else an enemy. And thus, he did not like it. So this is one of the things that I really noticed about Prahlad Maharaj. You know, he has all these great qualities, but this one keeps coming up over and over again, that he sees everyone as a friend. And he doesn't make this distinction between enemy and friend. And, you know, I guess we look at foreigners and, and, you know, uh, domestic people. Like, he just doesn't make this distinction. He sees everybody as a friend. So one day, Hiranyakashipu, you know, takes his son into his lap. And like, like I guess most parents do, sometimes they'll say, hey, what did you learn in school today? You know, what was what's your favorite subject? So he was engaging his son in such a loving and affectionate way. He says, my dear son, please let me know what you think is the best of all subjects you have studied from your teachers. And Prahlad Maharaj replies, any person who has accepted a temporary body and temporary household life is certainly embarrassed by anxiety because of having fallen in a dark well where there is no water but only suffering. One should give up this position and go to the forest. More clearly, one should go to Vrindavan where only Krishna consciousness is prevalent and should take shelter of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Now remember, when Hiranyakashipu was consoling his family, he said very similar things. He says things like, The spirit soul, the living entity, has no death, for he is eternal and inexhaustible. Being free from material contamination, he can go anywhere in the material or spiritual worlds. He is fully aware and completely different from the material body. But because of being misled by misuse of his slight independence, he is obliged to accept subtle and gross bodies created by the material energy and thus be subjected to so-called material happiness and distress. Therefore, no one should lament the passing of the spirit soul from the body. He goes on to say, birth, death, lamentation, foolishness, and anxiety are due to material considerations. So sometimes we come to a proper understanding and sometimes we fall again to the wrong conception of life. So Hiranyakashipu knew these teachings. He just didn't want to acknowledge that the reason for having this understanding of equality, you know, non-duality, being free from anxiety is surrendering to Krishna, surrendering to God. He didn't want to make that surrender. So he didn't take it to that final conclusion of take shelter of Krishna. So when he hears his son say this, he it increases his envy. He he thinks, man, I'm all powerful. I'm practically immortal, 
And yet my son is glorifying my enemy. Remember, he thinks of Vishnu as his enemy because he killed Hiranyaksha, his brother, and he's sworn vengeance against him. So he thinks, well, how can my son be, you know, on the side of my enemy? And he, you know, he wants to know where his son is learning this information from. So he gets bodyguards and he gets them to set, you know, be with his son at all times to make sure that there's no Vaishnav sneaking into the school and teaching him this propaganda of surrendering to God and, and, you know, disrespecting him as his father. So when his teachers found out about this, they wanted to get the bottom of it. So they asked him, who is teaching him these things? And Prahlad Maharaj replied, let me offer my respectful obeisances unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead, whose external energy has created the distinctions of my friend and my enemy by diluting the intelligence of men. Indeed, I am now actually experiencing this, although I have previously heard of it from authoritative sources. When the Supreme Personality of Godhead is pleased with the living entity because of his devotional service, one becomes a pundit and does not make distinctions between enemies, friends, and himself. Intelligently, he thinks, every one of us is an eternal servant of God, and therefore we are not different from one another. Persons who always think in terms of enemy and friend are unable to ascertain the supersoul within themselves. Not to speak of them, even such exalted persons as Lord Brahma, who are fully conversant with the Vedic literature, are sometimes bewildered in the in following the principles of devotional service. The same Supreme Personality of Godhead who has created this situation has certainly given me the intelligence to take the side of your so-called enemy. O Brahmanas, teachers, as iron attracted by a magnetic stone moves automatically toward the mag- magnet, my consciousness, having been changed by his will, is attracted by Lord Vishnu, who carries a disc in his hand. Thus, I have no independence." Hearing this, his teachers became frustrated, and so did the other students. You know, his teacher's kids were also part of the school. And they became angry, and they felt that by joining his family's enemy, he could take the family and the demons down, right? It's like poisoning within from within or, or having an enemy within uh, home lines. And so, you know, that can take down their whole family and all the demons. And they used force. They beat him. They tried to uh, violently get him to see their way of things and teach him about religion, economic development, and sense gratification, things that he had no interest in. But he played the humble student and, you know, didn't say anything more. And he took all of this torture, you know, with... Like, I guess you can say he took it in stride. He didn't fight back. He just took it, right? He knew that Krishna would take care of him, and he didn't have to worry. So after some time without incident, you know, Hiranyakashipu approaches his son again, and very affectionately, you know, smells the top of his head, put, places him in his lap, and he says, My dear Prahlad, my dear son, for so much time you have heard many things from your teachers, now, please repeat to me whatever you think is the best of that knowledge. Prahlad Maharaj said, Hearing and chanting about the transcendental holy name 
form, qualities, paraphernalia, and pastimes of Lord Vishnu, remembering them, serving the lotus feet of the Lord, offering the Lord respectful worship with 16 types of paraphernalia, offering prayers to the Lord, becoming his servant, considering the Lord one's best friend, and surrendering everything unto him. These nine processes are accepted as pure devotional service. One who has dedicated his life to the service of Krishna through these nine methods should be understood to be the most learned person, for he has acquired complete knowledge. So after hearing once again his son praising his enemy and glorifying his enemy, he became very angry and he threw his son off of his lap. I mean, you know, this poor kid's five years old, you know, he's just... Um, sharing what he was learning and, and what he's learned is so great, but his father, who's a demon, can't hear it. He, he's unable to tolerate his so-called enemy being glorified. You know, he's like, I should be glorified. You're, you should be saying all these things about me. You should be praising my name. That's how he feels. So he says to his son, you rascal, most fallen of our family. Who is teaching you these things? And he, he immediately calls his son names. You can see that he's not really going to win any Father of the Year's award of the Year awards. Quite the opposite, right? He's probably one of the worst child abusers that we can read about. We'll read a little bit more about what he says, what he does to his son. So Prahlad Maharaj replies, because of their uncontrolled senses, persons too addicted to materialistic life make progress toward hellish conditions and repeatedly chew that which has already been chewed. Their inclinations toward Krishna are never aroused, either by the instruction of others, by their own efforts, or by a combination of both. Persons who are strongly entrapped by the consciousness of enjoying material life, and who have therefore accepted as their leader or guru a similar blind man attached to external sense objects, cannot understand that the goal of life is to return home back to Godhead and engage in the service of Lord Vishnu. As blind men guided by another blind man miss the right path and fall into a ditch, materially attached men led by another materially attached man are bound by the ropes of fruit of labor, which are made of very strong cords. They continue again and again in materialistic life, suffering the threefold miseries. Unless they smear upon their bodies the dust of the lotus feet of a Vaishnava, completely freed from material contamination, persons very much inclined toward the materialistic life cannot be attached to the lotus feet of the Lord, who is glorified for his uncommon activities. Only by becoming Krishna conscious and taking shelter at the lotus feet of the Lord in this way can one be freed from material contamination. After Prahlad Maharaj spoke, he became silent, and Hiranyakashipu, blinded by anger, felt like, He yelled to his servants, Demons, take this boy away from me. He deserves to be killed. Kill him as soon as possible. So this is how it is. Like when, when something is not under our control and we can't control it, we become very angry and we want to like get rid of it, right? And sometimes, I mean, I, I don't know all of the psychology behind child abuse, but a lot of it does have to do with control and power. You know, they want to beat the child into submission so that they 
always, you know, cower in front of them and they do exactly what they say and they use all sorts of techniques. Name calling, we see here in Yakashipu, calling his son names, um, you know, trying to get him to subdue and, you know, submit to him. Like, hey, I'm the most powerful. Recognize my glory. Recognize me. And because you're not, because I can't control you, I'm going to kill you. This is what he says to his son at five years old. He calls him untrustworthy. He likens him to a poisoned limb that needs to be amputated rather than a five-year-old boy who needs protection. He says, just as uncontrolled senses are the enemies of all yogis engaged in advancing in spiritual life, again, no self-awareness, this Prahlad who appears to be a friend is an enemy because I cannot control him. Therefore, this enemy, whether eating, sitting, or sleeping, must be killed by all means. He's justifying, you know, the murder of his own son um, by saying, likening him to a poisoned limb, by saying, you know, if a yogi can't control his senses, he's supposed to subdue his senses, and not realizing that that's exactly what he's doing. He's not controlling his senses. Um, but instead, he's likening his senses to his son and his son needs to be controlled. And if not, then you want to get rid of him. So all the demons that were there began attacking him, hitting him with their tridents. But no matter what they did, they were chanting, you know, chop him up, pierce him, and get that crowd going with their chants and everybody's angry and pitchforks and, you know, things like that, except the pitchforks or tridents. So they're actually trying to like beat him with the tridents and nothing's happening. There's no bruises being formed. The trident doesn't actually pierce the skin. He's, you know, not hurting. So when he saw that this was having no effect on him, he thought of other ways of torturing and killing him. He threw him beneath the feet of a big elephant who just walked over him and didn't harm the boy in any way. He threw him among huge fearful snakes who didn't even attack the boy. He tried doing destructive spells. That didn't work. He tried hurling him from the top of a hill. But Lord Vishnu, you know, kind of uh, caught him and gently placed him down to the bottom of the hill. So that didn't work. He tried poisoning him and the poison had no effect. He tried starving him, exposing him to severe cold winds, fire and water, throwing heavy stones to crush him. And none of this had any effect. He even boiled him in a vat of boiling water. He put him in there, like he's trying to fry his child alive. And, um, you know, thanks to Krishna, nothing happened. There was like this protective bubble around uh, Prahlad Maharaj. He didn't even, you know, have the slightest bit of burn, nothing. He wasn't scathed at all from this vat of boiling oil. As a matter of fact, the oil became cool and um, comfortable, so the temperature dropped of the oil. That's what, that's the protection of Krishna. So once again, you know, the teachers at the school said, no, you know what? Give him to us. We'll, we'll take care of him. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure that he learns what he's supposed to learn and doesn't continue to serve Krishna. So they tried to systematically and unceasingly, you know, brainwash Prahlad Maharaj to, um, get him to submit to their propaganda and teach him about mundane religion, economic development, and sense gratification. So after some time passed again, 
um, whenever his teachers would leave, you know, the, the room, Prahlad Maharaj would get up and start telling stories of Lord Vishnu to his um, fellow classmates and, t- you know, glorifying all the glories of Krishna. He would stress that every living entity must be interested in spiritual realization. And when humans are children, they should be taught that the Supreme Personality of Godhead is the worshipful deity for everyone. We should not be very much interested in material enjoyment. One should be satisfied with whatever material profits are easily obtainable. And because the duration of one's life is very short, one should utilize every moment for spiritual advancement. One may wrongly think, in the beginning of our lives, let us enjoy material facilities, and in old age we may become Krishna conscious. Such materialistic thoughts are always useless because in old age one cannot be trained in the spiritual way of life. So we have to learn from the very beginning of life. This is the duty of all living entities. So this is the kinds of things Prahlad Maharaj would teach his his um, fellow classmates. And they were in awe. They loved hearing these stories. But they were like, you know, you're, you have the same teachers we have. You're learning the same things we're learning. Where did you hear of this? How did you hear of this? And Prahlad Maharaj shares how the story of how his mother was kidnapped and Narada Muni gave him all these instructions when he was in the womb that he was paying attention to. So he shared this story. And his teachers found out, you know, because he saw that all the, they saw that all these, the kids in the classroom were becoming attached and attracted to Krishna, to Lord Vishnu. So they once again went to Hiranyakashipu and said, you know what, we've tried everything we can and nothing is working. So once again, Hiranyakashipu decided that he had to kill his son. He was so angry that Prahlad Maharaj tried to pacify him by, you know, bowing in reverence and offering um, obeisances to his father and trying to pacify him, but he wouldn't be pacified. He said, I am greater than the Supreme Personality of Godhead. I am greater than God. You know that when I get angry, all the planets of the three worlds tremble along with their rulers. By whose power has a rascal like you become so impotent that you appear fearless and overstep my power to rule you? Lord Prahlad Maharaj replied, My dear king, the source of my strength, of which you are asking, is also the source of yours. Indeed, the original source of all kinds of strength is one. He's not only your strength or mine, but the only strength for everyone. Without him, no one can get any strength. Whether moving or not moving, superior or inferior, everyone, including Lord Brahma, is controlled by the strength of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He is the supreme controller and time factor. He is the power of the senses, the power of the mind, the power of the body, and the vital force of the senses. His influence is unlimited. He is the best of all living entities, the controller of the three modes of material nature. By his own power, he creates this cosmic manifestation and maintains it and annihilates it also. My dear father, please give up your demoniac mentality. Do not discriminate in your heart between enemies and friends. Make your mind equiposed towards everyone. Except for the uncontrolled and misguided mind, there is no enemy within this world. So once again, he brings up this 
value of this teaching of there are no enemies. Everybody is a friend. And to not discriminate. So hearing all of this, glorifying his enemy, Hiranyakashipu replies, you rascal, you are trying to minimize my value as if you are better than me at controlling the senses. This is over-intelligent. I can therefore understand that you desire to die at my hands, for this kind of nonsensical talk is indulged in by those who are about to die. O oh, most unfortunate Prahlad, you have always described a supreme being other than me, a supreme being who is above everything, who is the controller of everyone, and who is all-pervading. But where is he? If he is everywhere, then why is he not present before me in this pillar? Because you are speaking so much nonsense, I shall now sever your head from your body. Now let me see your most worshipable God come to protect you. I want to see it. And cursing him again and again, Hiranyakashipu took up his sword, got up from his throne, and with great anger struck the fist of the column. And that's where we are today with today's verse. When he struck the fist of the column, there was a loud noise that shook the entire universe. And even Hiranyakashipu was a little like, what? What just happened, right? He looks over to the column and he's like, oh my God. And this half lion, half man being manifest before him. And this um, form of the Lord is so angry. You know, it's so hard to even look upon him. So Hiranyakashipu studied the form of the Lord trying to decide who he was. And Hiranyakashipu is described as being extremely fearsome because of his angry eyes, which resemble molten gold. His shining mane, which expanded the dimensions of his fearful face. His deadly teeth. His razor-sharp tongue, which moved about like a dueling sword. His ears were erect and motionless. And his nostrils and gaping mouth appeared like caves of a mountain. His jaws parted fearfully, and his entire body touched the sky. His neck was very short and thick, his chest broad, his waist thin, and the hairs on his body as white as the rays of the moon. His arms, which resembled the flanks of soldiers, spread in all directions as he killed the demons, rogues, and atheists with his conch shell, disc, club, lotus, and other natural weapons. Hiranyakashipu murmured to himself, Lord Vishnu, who possesses great mystic power, has made this plan to kill me. But what is the use of such an attempt? Who can fight with me? Thinking like this, Lord took up his club and attacked Hiranyakashipu. Hiranyakashipu attacked the Lord like an elephant. So, again, he's thinking, how can this, you know, even if this is Lord Vishnu, he can't defeat me. I'm more powerful. And I've gotten this boon of immortality to you, so he can't kill me, and I have no rival, and I have no competitor. So they fought back and forth, you know. If you've ever seen a cat play with um, a mouse, you know, they play with them, they toy with them, they let them think they're free, and then they pounce on them, and then they let them go, they, you know, so they, so as a lion, Nishingadev was doing the same thing with Hiranyakashipu. And finally, he decided, okay, I've had enough. And he grabs Hiranyakashipu and he um, 
captures him and throws him on his lap and pierces his chest with his nails and just eviscerates him in one fail swoop. It's like he was like a rag doll, right? Hiranyakashipu was this powerful demon that everybody was afraid of. Lord Nishingadev just tears into him like he's a rag doll. And he's, you know, guts deguts him and he's wearing his um, Hiranyakashipu's entrails as a garland around his neck and he's covered in blood. And everybody's so afraid of him. He um, placed him on his lap, supporting him on his thighs, in the doorway of the assembly hall. The Lord very easily tore the demon to pieces with the nails of his hand. So if we remember the benediction that um, Hiranyakashipu couldn't be killed on the land or in the sky, so Nishingadev put him on his lap, which is neither land nor sky, he couldn't be killed at day or night, so Hiranyakashipu killed him at dusk, which is that time between day and night, right? Um, that's not either day or night. He uh, couldn't be killed by any weapon or any person dead or alive. And Hiranyakashipu used his nails, which are not really weapons, and nails are not really dead or alive. They're both dead and alive. So, in order to keep intact all of Lord Brahma's benedictions, Lord Nishingadev paradoxically, but very easily killed the great demon, Hiranyakashipu. So, after he killed Hiranyakashipu, he killed all of his followers, all of his demon followers. And he still remained angry. Like, he was so angry, no one could pacify him. Lord Brahma came to try to pacify him. The demigods showered him with flowers, um... Indra, Shiva, all of them tried to come and pacify him, and his anger would not be pacified. Even Lakshmi Dev was afraid to approach him because she'd never seen such a, you know, terrifying form of her husband. So Lord Brahma asked Prahlad Maharaj to go forward and pacify the Lord's anger. When Nishingadev saw this small boy offer obeisances to him, he became ecstatic. He became just like a lion is with his cub. Right? It said that the first thing he did was just lick Prahlad Maharaj all over like a lion does. Right? A lion licks their cub. He showed, showed him so much affection. And he says, My dear Prahlad, best of the family of the demons, all good fortune unto you. I am very much pleased with you. It is my pastime to fulfill the desires of all living beings, and therefore you may ask from me any benediction that you desire to be fulfilled. Prahlad Maharaj um, did not want any benedictions, even though the God was off that Krishna was offering him anything that he wanted, any anything he could, his hearts could desire. Um, he can fulfill any of this, and Prahlad Maharaj just thought. You know, what is the use of all of that? If I get caught up in material sense enjoyment, that's just going to take me away from my Lord, from Lord Vishnu. I don't want any of that. As a matter of fact, the one boon he asks for is for him to destroy any semblance of of material desires. Let's see where it says that. He 
said he wanted the Lord to assure him that he would never be induced to take any benedictions for the sake of material desires. That's all he wanted. He wanted he wanted Nishingadev to destroy the anarthas in his heart, the um, sins of his heart, the, these desires for material sense gratification, for one's own glory, any of that. He wanted that to be all gone, to be killed just as he killed his father. And that was the point I was making earlier in the class is that when we have that Hiranyakashipu in our hearts, we need Nershingadev to come and kill him so that we can also focus on serving Krishna. So the one thing he does ask for is to liberate his father. His father, you know, he says, please forgive him. He was... Um, bewildered, his intelligence was lost. And we learn from the Bhagavad Gita, when we're attached to our senses, and we're attached to pleasing our senses, that creates so much attachment, and attachment leads to um, lust or intense desire, which leads to, when the lust is not fulfilled, it leads to anger. From anger, you get deluded. From delusion, you get bewilderment of the memory. And when memory is bewildered, intelligence is lost. And when intelligence is lost, one falls down again into the material pool. So Hiranyakashipu had all of these qualities, envy, greed, anger, attachment, um, indulging in material pleasures. And you know, to him, surrendering to Lord Vishnu, to surrendering to God would get in the way of all these kinds of material attachments. So he didn't want to do that. But on the other hand, Prahlad Maharaj remained steadfast in his faith that no matter what, nothing could shake it. No matter what was going on, he knew his um, worshipable Lord, Lord Vishnu, Lord Vishnu would protect him. And he keeps bringing up over and over again this quality of uh, equanimity, you know, not seeing anyone as friend, not seeing one as an enemy, but seeing everyone as a friend, not making that distinction in Bhagavad Gita 6.9, it said, A person is considered still further advanced when they regard honest well-wishers, affectionate benefactors, the neutral mediators, the envious friends and enemies, the pious and the sinners, all with an equal mind. So every time Prahlad Maharaj spoke about Lord Vishnu and Krishna and, and glorified him, he always brought up this point. It was why he wasn't interested in politics. So it's one of the lessons that we can learn from Prahlad Maharaj is this um, treating everyone equally as friends, being affectionate to everyone, being kind and loving and compassionate for everyone. And we know that's one of the qualities of a Vaishnava, right? We say it again and again. Um, Let us offer our respectful obeisances to all the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord who are just like desire trees and fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. And that's how Prahlad Maharaj was. He was full of compassion for everyone. And, you know, he didn't just see everyone as the same, even though he sees everyone as equal as friends and compassionate towards everyone. He sees them according to their station and, you know, deals with them accordingly, but always with love and kindness and respect, never in the sense of I'm superior and you're inferior. Or, you know, he just thinks himself more humble than everyone. So these are the things that we can learn from Prahlad Maharaj, to have unflinching faith in Krishna, especially in these trying times where things seem quite 
um, dire sometimes, right? We hear about people dying from this crazy virus or just being locked down or, you know, we think um, so many things can happen and we have to realize that Krishna will always protect us. Even if our material body is undergoing suffering, you know, we see so many things that Prahlad Maharaj's body was undergoing suffering. Krishna was still protecting him. And what is he protecting? He's protecting his devotion, his Krishna consciousness, his faith. And that's what we really want to protect is our devotion, our faith, um, that love. So even if we're suffering on the outside, that is being protected. And that is our prayer. It's said in seven Srimad Bhagavatam seven ten twenty nine, if one meditates upon your transcendental body, you naturally protect them from all sources of fear, even the imminent danger of death. Doesn't necessarily mean that um, Lord Krishna or Lord Nishingadev is going to save you from death, but just the fear of it. You think sometimes the fear of something can be more terrifying than the thing itself. Um, and so we want to make sure that, you know, we're paying attention to what's permanent. The soul is permanent and the body is temporary. And even if the body is undergoing material suffering, our soul is not. Who we are is not suffering. It's trapped in this material body, but we still have free will and we can always choose how we're going to react to everything that's happening to us. We can decide to make distinctions and say, this person's my enemy and this person's my well-wisher and I'm going to treat this person really well and this person not so well. Um, it's not like that. Even if someone's treating you horribly or they're rude to you, you still can send them love from a distance. You don't have to have everybody um, you know, in your sphere at all times. Um, but the idea is, is that you don't have any malintent or maliciousness towards them. And that's where that distinction is hard. If somebody's, you know, treating you poorly and you have the opportunity to get out of that situation, it's important to do so, to get out of that situation. But it's also important to not have hate or um, anger towards the person that's abusing you because they're dealing with their own material um, conditioning, right? This attachment to power, greed, wanting to be in control of everything, and we're really not in control of anything. If we can't control our own selves, how can we control other people? So Lord Nishingadev, we can learn so much from this story. You know, the key points that are applicable to us right now is having unflinching faith, no matter what is happening, keeping that strong faith in Krishna and praying to Lord Nishingadev today that please, you know, destroy anything that will get into the... Um, get in the way of my spiritual service and of my devotional service to you. Please kill the demon that lingers within us that keeps us attached to our material attachments. So I've gone a little bit over time. I apologize. It was a long story. I had a lot to get through. Um, I hope you guys also took something away from the story that we like to share every year. And I think we have a program going on this evening um, online, so you can catch it on, um, I guess, the YouTube Live or Facebook Live. And we'll have an Abhishek as well as Kirtan and um, sharing more glories of Lord Narsingadev. So Lord Narsingadev Ki Jai.
जलांतरा श्रीमद भागवतम की जय